Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. I'm going to read the Bible passage for today, and once I conclude, um, I would say this is the word of the Lord, and you would respond by saying thanks be to God. So I'm reading from Colossians 2, 9 to 12. So that's Colossians 2, 9 to 12. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bimbo, and uh, good morning, second service. Nice to see you guys. If it's your first time here, thank you. If it's your first time here, let me just introduce myself. My name is Femi, and we're so happy to have you guys uh, worship with us today. Now, what we've been doing is we've been preaching through a series. We've called the Rooted and Built Up. And it's really going through the whole book of Colossians so that we can understand the Bible better and so that we don't misinterpret scriptures. It's always so nice sometimes to just go through a particular book. And this book is, um, it eventually touches on every aspect of our lives, but it first does so by the first two uh, chapters. It's four chapters. In the first two chapters, it really focuses on Christ and then says, okay, now you understand this. This is how it works out in your life. Now, I want to play a game. Uh, because I'm someone that likes playing games. Now, uh, when I say that, that can be really misunderstood. I don't mean like game, playing games like in relationships and all that. My wife and I, we don't play those games, all right? We, well, I'm the straight, straight shooting guy. I mean, let's play a game, like a real game, all right? So it's just, I'll say something, and then you complete it, all right? So a stitch in time, a rolling stone. Uh, so you see. You know, you know which schools they went to. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, um, don't cry over. Um, Christianity is a religion. It's not a religion. Uh, you see, you see. Christianity is not a religion, but it's a way of life. Some other ways of expressing that would be something like Christianity is not about rules, rituals, or rites. Those three big R's. But it's about in an intimate relationship with God. Or my Christianity, my Christian faith is not a religion. It's about a person. How many of us have uttered something like that before in our lives? You are lying. <laughs> not one just person, because you all said, you all said it. You all said it. Man. Okay. Um, but but I think that sentiment, someone would say that I'm by doing that, I'm following the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus never set up a religion. 
In fact, Jesus was anti-religion because the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, Jesus was generally against them. Jesus used to lambast them and all of those things. Um, so the Bible will be supporting this view about, uh, my view about Christianity is not a religion, but a way of life. Okay. Kind of, I think. Or maybe sort of. Actually, no, I think you're actually wrong if you're saying that. Let me quote a particular person, a pastor whose name is Kevin DeYoung. And here's what he says. I like this, this quote. Jesus was a Jew. He went to services at the synagogue. He observed Jewish holidays. holidays. He did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. He founded the church. He established church discipline. He instituted a ritual meal. He insisted that people believe in him and believe certain things about him. If religion is characterized by doctrine, commands, rituals, and structure, then Jesus is not your go-to guy for hating religion. He just isn't. You know, there's an impulse. I think this impulse is right. There's an impulse within us to oppose oppressive and meaningless religion. And that's right and good. But there's another impulse which isn't very good. And that's the impulse to redefine Christianity. I think that can be dangerous. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a pastor, a younger pastor, a few years ago. And we were talking about theological stuff, um, because that's what pastors do. Some of you probably think pastors only talk about bad coin guns, um, the ones that are giving them problems, and the ones they, they rather would... Uh, you know, sometimes we Protestants can believe in purgatory just, just because of that. Like, I'd like them to be purged somewhere. But no, that's not what pastors talk about. Pastors talk about theological stuff. So we're talking about theological stuff. Then we start talking about ministry stuff. And we're bemoaning the fact that we felt a lot of ministries that maybe started well were going off the gospel. So we are really agreeing a lot. And so at one point, I then blurted out. I said, oh, that reminds me of one guy who said uh, that um, baptism isn't even necessary. You know, and the guy now said, um, "That's the guy I'm working with." So I said, "No, but is baptism, this baptism thing here? Eh, is it really, really necessary?" To which I want to say, "You too." <laughs> said, because Paul said in one Corinthians seventeen that Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and so that's it. That's the thing of ministry. So all this. So in his church, they don't baptize, they don't do the Lord's Supper. Why? Because all of those things are just forms of religion. Christ is what we really need. Now, I don't really agree with that, obviously. I think the Bible would contradict that. So for instance, when Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, and he was now commissioning his disciples, he gave them one instruction, go and make disciples. Said, go and make disciples. That's the instruction, go and make disciples. But that instruction, he further elaborated on it. This is what it means to make disciples. So in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's one descriptor of what it means. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now some people say, well, that's just one verse. You can make any verse say what it means. But then you look at the book of Acts, when these people were actually living this out. And then you notice that belief of joining the Christian church and baptism were so intertwined. 
So let me give you about four examples. For instance, on the day that the church was born, Peter preached a message. And when he preached a message, because they spoke in tongues, the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in tongues. And so people gathered around and he explained it to them and he said, this is what this thing means. So he preached the gospel to them. The people then said, what shall we then do? And here's what Peter said. Those who accepted his message were baptized. So they believed and those who accepted his message were baptized. And 3,000 people were added to the number that day. Here's another one. In Samaria, a neighboring part, a, re a neighboring region, there were some converts there for the first time. Philip preached to them. Here's what it says. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. But another time he goes to Corinth. This is Paul. And there's a synagogue leader there who is just preached to. His name is Crispus. And let's hear what he says. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many Corinthians who heard Paul believed, and guess what? And were baptized. And then there were these guys who believed in John the Baptist. They were following John the Baptist's message. And eventually they encountered the same Paul in Acts chapter 19. And here's what Paul said to them. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, baptism has been an integral part of the Christian faith. From the early church until now. Those guys were just living out what Jesus had commanded them. But here's the thing. There is some controversy regarding it. Now, I'm not saying if you go all around the world, some people believe baptism means something. Another group of people believe baptism means another thing. But most Christians are united in saying baptism is important. Except, as I've observed, um, many times when, you know, when we are um, younger and we're encountering Christian, or generally when you're younger and you're, um, growing up, all of a sudden you feel like, especially when you come into some knowledge, you always feel like those people that had gone before me, they're just, they, weren't, they didn't have enough energy, they didn't, they didn't search the word well, you know, they weren't zealous, um, but you know, God is doing a new thing in our time, you know, he's always doing a new thing in the people who are new, really, basically. And, and so we have to show them really what this thing means, and so there's an impulse in us that always wants to reject what has been established and then try to bring in our own new thing. And sometimes that impulse is good and it leads to good things, but other times it can be dangerous. And I would say this, the impulse to move away from some of these things isn't very good, but there is some justification. And the justification is this. For some of us who have already been baptized, the way we say our baptism is what it was commanded is what Christians do. And it doesn't really mean anything to us. So what I hope that we can do in this sermon is to provide, a, uh, uh, see what the biblical meaning uh, for baptism is, but also at the same time see how that can impact our lives. Amen? So for us to do that, we're going to answer three questions. One, what does it do? So the sermon title is baptism. And one, where does it fit in? Where does it fit? That's one. Two, what does it do? And then three, what does it signify? Where does it fit? What does it do, and where does it, and what does it signify? All right, so let's start with the first one. Where does it fit? Now, to answer this question, I think we need to go back to this issue of 
year or nay for religion and to see how it works. Quite often what we, have, uh, what we think when we think about religion is, as people would say, is, um, is religion right or is religion not right? That's the point. Is it, am I religious, should I be religious or not religious? That's where we then get into the whole, um, it's not a way of life. But if you read James, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 26, here's what James says. He says, you are looking at this thing differently in the way than, than the way it should be. James says this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from, oneself from being polluted by the word. Here's what James is saying. If you're saying, if you're asking the question, should I be religious or not religious? He's saying you're asking the wrong question. What you should be asking, is the religion good or bad? Is the religion worthless or worthy? Is the religion pure or impure? Is the religion faultless or faulty? Now, I think with that, you have two categories, as I've shown. The first category, I think, that is the bad one, can give us two things. So one, let's talk about faulty, worthless, impure religion. Right? So I want to illustrate that with, um, the, with, the, with the, um, thing that will be shown on the screen. Now, most people, here was our um, um, encounter with religion. It was these three things, these three hours that I said, rituals, rules, and rhythms. Rhythms. They say you must go to church every day. Say, so, but what does it mean? It's just, why must I go to church every, every day? Is it not to get a teaching? I can listen to a podcast. Is it to sing? I can sing. Is it to pray? I can pray. But why do we go to church every day? It's part of the rhythm. That's our religion. Like, I hate that. Some of the rules. Don't sleep with someone who is not your spouse. Why? Who says so? Are you sure? Or that's not a man-made thing? Or if you then have rituals, well, take communion in church. Why do we do it? I don't even know. I just take it and it doesn't mean anything to me. So you see, the problem here is that we have made, God brought about life. Man brought about religion. Because with those three things, I have no understanding of what it means. There is nothing at the core. It's empty. We're just doing them to somehow please God and continue to live our lives in the way we want. And so a young person sees this in the university, he's had an encounter, and says, I read the Bible, I read the book of Galatians, I read the book of Romans, and all I see there is that God wants to have a personal relationship with me. This is what we are meant to do. This is what, how I'm meant to live my Christianity. Right? God wants to have a personal relationship with me. All right? So what we need to do is get rid of all of these things. Get rid of all that uh, rituals, right, uh, rituals um, rhythms, and rules. What we need is to have a spiritual relationship. Let, keep letting me go. What we need to have is a spiritual relationship with him. 
You see, that's why my heart will be beaten. I can start talking to God. God speaks to me. It's not about somebody giving me certain rules to obey. If God says, go right, I go right. If God says, go to church, I'll go to church. If God says, don't go to church, I don't go to church. Why? Because I have a personal relationship. It's a spiritual thing. So if the first one was powerless, the second one is formless. Here's the problem with the formless one. What do you do with all those commands about those things? Now, I think Jesus would advocate for Jesus' own religion because he did set up a religion. And here's what that looks like. Rather than nothing at the core or getting rid of all that is outside, Jesus would advocate this. Because the rituals, the rules, and the rhythms are all there. But what happens is they are not the center. You don't just do them. The gospel, the good news about himself is what gives them meaning and what energizes them. You know the solar system we have, right? The sun is at the center. And all the planets, what do they do? They revolve around. Do you know why they keep revolving the, the, the same amount of time? There is a force that holds them, that attracts them to the sun. And so that keeps them in their orbit. But at the same time, you know, if the sun wasn't as hot as it is, if it just reduces the temperature by one, you know what will happen to us? We will all die. As in, we will we'll freeze to death. If the sun's temperature goes up a little bit uh, more, you know what's going to happen to us? Exactly what's happening to us now, right? This, this, temp, this heat wave is killing us. You, you understand? We need the sun for life. The gospel doesn't only just give them meaning, it energizes them. So we're not meant to discard those rituals, rules, and rhythms. But neither are we not just to do them for no meaning. Jesus has given us the meaning in the gospel. And this is how we should then think about baptism. Baptism is one of those rituals, right? Here we believe there are two rituals that God gives, or two rites, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is this visible expression of this invisible reality of the gospel. That's what I said, a visible expression of an invisible reality. Why? Because that takes us to the power of symbols. So I don't know if you are growing up like I, I was. Let's say you are dating a girl, but that girl's dad had five girls, right? So you go to the house. You know, you guys have not gotten to the point where you, need, you go to a house to visit her. And then you are met with this sign. Okay, forget. The Niger version is beware of dogs. All right, beware of dogs. I was told in the first service. You meet that sign. What do you do? Let me tell you what you do. All of a sudden, you start asking irrational questions. So she comes. You now say, do you have a dog here? Like, yes, yes, okay. Does it bite? He <laughs> said, oh, okay. But, okay. Is it in the cage? He said, yes, it's in the cage. All right. Are you sure? <laughs> she said, I'm sure. What's wrong with you? Can we go to TFC? <laughs> Why? What can a sign do to you? What does the signboard do to you? You know, if you went and taught that signboard, nothing will happen to you, right? 
But that sign is a visible reality. Yeah? It's a visible reality taking, pointing you to something that exists that, should, in this case, you should be really scared about. But sometimes we, there are other things that engage our senses. So this one's engaging our eyes. There are other things that engage our senses that point us to other realities. So for example, if you're like me, somewhere between the hours at work, somewhere between the hours of 1, let's say 12.30 to 2.30, right? You've had your lunch. And I'm sorry, I don't do that salad nonsense. That whole, you know, salad, a bowl of salad and they'll put some cream and that's lunch. On, on, after I have worked for like four hours, you have to be kidding, right? So you have a reasonably good mountain of ever, right? You have a reasonably good portion of it. Right? Which, so you take that, you know, on a good day, put some snail and fish there and effort, you know. You do that. Yeah. I have ended, sorry, don't jealous me, all right? So, but then you finish the food and then something happens to you when you get to your screen. You just slow down. <laughs> Things start slowing down. Your eyes start shutting more than, you know, you're just not productive. But I know that not, doesn't happen to any of you at work. Right? It doesn't happen. Yeah, liars, all of you. So what do I do? I go to YouTube, right? And YouTube, I then go to my favorite, I, I play 80s music. And a lot of those, what, what happens is I'm listening to a particular song. I can't tell you some songs I'm listening to. But I'm listening to a particular song. You know what it does? I start thinking of my particular, my neighbor, where, where I first heard that song. Then I remember one party that I won the dance competition at. <laughs> Don't let me demonstrate. Or, or then I remember, is my wife here? OK, she's not. I remember one of my ex-girlfriends. You understand? She's not there. You understand what I mean? What doesn't music do that to you? Or sometimes you watch a particular film, you just remember something. You're watching the film or you're listening to the song, but you are remembering something else. It's the power of symbols. They are able to take us from we look at the particular thing, we engage with the particular thing, but it's, tra it's transporting us to another reality. Of the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you do this, you declare right, my coming, the, Lord's coming, uh, the Lord's death, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. The power of symbols. And this is what baptism also is meant to do. It is meant to engage our senses, but in that regard, when it's engaging our senses, it's meant to take us or point us to another reality. It is an, a visible expression, a visible demonstration of an invisible reality, the gospel. Amen. Now, I would like to say more about that to point to what it does signify, but we'll do that in the third point because I do feel like we need to understand actually what baptism is. So this second part and the beginning of the third will be a little bit more theological, but you guys have slept enough. That's why you come for the second service. So I'm sure you can engage it. All right, so it takes me to the second point. What does it do? What does it do? Let me start and tell you exactly what it is. What baptism does is that it completes our conversion initiation experience. It completes our conversion initiation experience. What do I mean by that? Go back to verse 12. Now, verse 12 gives us this, having been buried with, having been buried with him 
in baptism in which you were also raised with him. Now, you can see that, that that sentence doesn't just start on its own. Verse 12 is connected to verse 11. Verse 11 we'll get back to in the third point. But verse 11 is really giving us a picture of what it means with descriptive language of what it means to be converted. That's what it is. But notice what he says, but what he doesn't say. It doesn't say this description of, um, of a conversion that I've given you, um, which uh, uh, is termed in language of circumcision. This picture, now notice what it doesn't say. Verse 12 doesn't start with this. Being symbolized in baptism. Or, let me probably read it. It doesn't say, um, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ as baptism demonstrates, or as baptism replicates, or as baptism symbolizes. No, it says this. Your whole flesh ruled by, the, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been or because you have been buried with him in baptism. What? Because you've been buried with him in baptism. Your whole flesh, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put up where you were circumcised by Christ because you have been buried with him in baptism. What, is, what does this mean? It makes me go to two views, two traditional views about baptism. One view we can just call the symbolic view, which is essentially this. The invisible reality is symbolized with baptism. Baptism is merely a symbol. That's one. The second we can call the sacramental view, which most, this is what Roman Catholicism teaches and some parts of Anglicanism teaches. Roman Catholicism really essentially works, one of the main characteristics of Roman Catholicism is that matter is efficacious. Matter, that is things, are efficacious. So take the Lord's Supper. When the priest blesses the Lord's Supper, uh, the, the bread, the bread that you eat is not like the body of Christ. All right? It is. It becomes the body of Christ. So what you do is that you eat grace. It's a grace that is being given to you. You can eat it because matter can be efficacious. All right? So the, the Catholics will teach, like, I think, with all Christians, that when a person is born, he is born with original sin. However, water that comes through baptism, because water is matter and matter is efficacious, that water can wash away this, the original sin that is on a person. Do you understand me? So it is sacramental. That is, the matter can become sacred such that the substance itself has an efficacious, gracious um, um, uh, power. So the Protestants, and many of us are Protestants, we look at that and say, I think that's nuts. I think you should be careful before you say that. Because I would say that neither of those two views fully expresses what the Bible says. I think the sacramental view goes way beyond. But I think many times with the memorial view, we are not doing as much as what the Bible says. And this text and other texts prove it. So notice he says, because you have been buried in baptism. But let me use some other texts to explain. Conversion means coming into the Christian faith, right? This is how we enter into the Christian faith. We are converted. But it comes as a package. And many times throughout the Bible, whether all four or the um, 
two are mentioned here, three are mentioned here, one is mentioned here. There are four elements that usually will, um, uh, the conversion initiation packet con um, um, consists of. So let me give two that you guys will be very familiar with. If Yetunde, got it, not Yewande, Yetunde. If Yetunde comes and says, I believe in Christ. I now believe in Christ. I knew Yetunde not to be a Christian. She now says, I now have put my faith in Jesus Christ. What would you say? She's been converted, right? Because you've taken faith to represent the conversion experience. However, if you are reading the book of Luke, when Jesus says he's commissioning the disciples to go and preach the, the, to all the world, do you know what he says? He says, preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't mention faith. So is it that Luke is disagreeing with anybody that has faith? No, 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 no. You can, on the one hand, talk about the conversion experience and use faith. On the other hand, you can talk about it using repentance. Here's another one. When you get to the book of Acts, many times you know somebody is a believer when they have received the Spirit. So when Paul encountered um, the, uh, the, um, the disciples of John the Baptist in Acts chapter 19, he asked them, he said, have you received the Spirit since you believed? Because one way of describing, another way of describing um, uh, 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 the conversion initiation experience is that you will have been born again. You will have been baptized in the Spirit. Do you understand me now? Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Romans 8 verse 9. So those are three things. Sometimes you have them combined, sometimes not. But there's one more. When Peter preached that message on the first day of the church, uh, day of Pentecost, when they asked him, what must we do? Haven't heard this message. You know what Peter says? He says, repent. Uh, we know that one. And he then says, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he mentions three of them. In other words, baptism is intricately tied to the conversion initiation experience. To which some people are saying, so are you saying if I've not been baptized, I am not yet a Christian? You're asking that in your mind, aren't you? Well, it's a bit of a difficult question. So I've tried to, let me use this illustration that I tried to use in the first service. Um, Nanke, um, no, did you go to school in Nigeria, university? Which one? Oh, okay, you know, oh, you're a great person. She went to Unilag. Um, now, as we know, because Unilag always has the brightest people, so it has the highest cutoff in jam. I'm, uh, so you, want to, you want to contest the pastor, right? Yeah, so you, you know you can't do that. There's something called the wrath of God, and you can calm down. All right, so Nanke, Unilag sets it up at 270 for jam. Right? For those of us who went through the right process and went through jam. Right? 270. Nanke smashes it and gets 295. Can Nanke at that point, and she put Unilag as her first and second choice, can Nanke at that point believe that she's, going, she's in Unilag? Right? Okay, just forget Nigeria. Just all things being equal. Right? All things being equal. I know all things are not equal in Nigeria. Help me with my illustration. Yes. Then, no post, I don't know what that is. I actually don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know. So let's just use jam, all right? 
It shows my age a little bit, but I don't know what post jam is. So she gets in, and she, but she still needs an offer letter, right? Like a, a letter of admission. So when she got that, when she, before she got that letter of admission, is it that she wasn't really in? And she kind of, well, she was already in because she had already passed the cutoff. So, but now she gets the letter of admission. So Lanka is now a student of Greenland, isn't she? Except she doesn't have a matric number. In fact, to get the matric number, she has to go through a ceremony called what? Matriculation. Now the question is this: Before she had the matric number, before she before she had the matric number, was she not a member of Unilag? You see, well, here's the thing: All she then does, she now goes for lectures and all of those things. The lectures is engaging in community of Unilag, but your initiation into Unilag comes as a package that you can see some distinct things in. Do you understand me? The matriculation as the last part of that process seals things, realities that are already there. So these three invisible realities of repentance, faith, and receiving the Holy Spirit, they are true. They are there. But baptism, if you like, seals it because it happens in the body. All right, let me explain further. If you say, now you're stretching it. I believe in baptism. I always tell people to be baptized. But now you are now tying it too much to my conversion. I said, okay, there are two passages I wanted to read. There was one, Paul's own conversion. He was re-narrating the conversion at some point in tr on trials, right? Here's how he describes his, 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 um, his, um, his conversion. He's meant to meet a guy called, Jesus has told him to meet a guy called Ananias. And here's what Ananias, he says Ananias tells him in Acts 22, verse 16. And now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away. Eh? Baptism washing away sins? That's Paul. <laughs> this is Paul that wrote the book of Galatians and wrote the book of Romans and said what? That it is by faith alone that we are saved. But Paul is saying, my own experience, this person just represented it as baptism. Now, if Paul said that he said, get up, what are you still doing? Believe in Jesus Christ, we'll say no problem, right? Or repent for the forgiveness of your sins, we'll say no problem, right? But here he's saying that the man said, get up, be baptized, and have your sins, what? Washed away. Now, I often like to say we shouldn't rob Peter to pay Paul, because Peter and Paul are good friends, isn't it? There's for some of us that have this problem, there's a problematic passage for you in Peter. 1 Peter 3, here's what Peter is doing. He's talking about the flood that Noah experienced, and you know what happened in that flood. God told them to build an ark, and then Noah and his family were saved. And here's what Peter says to describe that. He says in 1 Peter 3, verse 20, he says, In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Baptism saves. Baptism washes away sins. Hold on, before we become Roman Catholics. Anytime it uses baptism as the catch-all phrase for all of that, um, that conversion initiation, it always connects it to something. 
So for instance, that Paul's own, when he says, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, he then adds, calling on his name. And we know in Romans 10 verse 13, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. The baptism doesn't function alone. It is as it as it's connected to him calling upon the name of Jesus Christ. Or the one I just read about Peter, he says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that when we come to Colossians 2, our own passage, it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith working in, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Do we understand? It is connected, it's like a package. It's connected together with all those invisible realities, but yet it's saying that this thing seals it. It is God's mark on you. You say, but I already know it in my mind. I mean, why do I need to now, all this body stuff? Body stuff. Okay. I think that kind of statement misunderstands what it means to be a human being. The Bible teaches that a human being is body and spirit. Look at Bola and Kemi. Hmm? Bola and Kemi. I know them. They love each other. And they are married. All right? And that marriage that they have, that, that loving each other is a, an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's... Um, it's a rational thing. That is, it goes on in their minds. Do you understand? Why are they sitting together? Why do you think they are sitting together? I know this analogy doesn't fully work because me and my wife don't sit together. But I'll tell you why. In the first service where we have married people, you know this service is the one where we are prophesying for people to get married. <laughs> but in the first service where we have married people, we had about five or six examples of couples. They were just sitting together. Why? Because that invisible reality of union it plays itself out even in their bodies. They want to be close together. When people get married legally, they get married, not in their hearts, but they are joining, they are joining themselves, you know, they're getting closer and closer. On the day that they get married, hopefully as Christians, what would happen on that day, or at least the next day, or you know, you know what I mean? They will come, they will physically consummate. They will come together in union. Why? Because we are not just minds. We are minds and matter as well. We are body and spirit. We are outer man and inner man. And so if God can lay claim on your spirit, he wants to also lay claim on what? Your body. If the Holy Spirit is that invisible seal unto the day of redemption, and that is why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then water baptism is that physical, material seal on our body. Amen? 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, whom God, uh, the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Therefore, honor God with what? Your body. That is why when God is saving us, he's not saving our spirit as well. In 1 Corinthians, 16, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 14, he said that he will raise our bodies also. And that's why having, having then expounded on the gospel in Romans 1 to 11, Romans 12 says this, in view of God's mercies, brothers and sisters, in view of God, God's mercies, offer your what? A living sacrifice. You can distinguish between our bodies and our spirit. But the moment you try to separate our bodies and our, and our spirits, you're about to call that iku. You will die. You understand? 
Why? Because a human being is body and spirit. And that is what this symbol is trying to do. It's showing us when, that in this initiation, conversion initiation experience, God is not only taking over our souls and spirit, but he's, taking, he's saying, you belong to me because you can feel it. We know we belong to Christ, not just because we, see, we, feel it in our, uh, we know it in our minds, but because we have felt it in our bodies through baptism. And this leads me to its symbolic importance and usefulness. Finally, what does baptism signify? Well, I would say that baptism at least signifies, it signifies one thing that can be explained two ways. Baptism signifies unity. But unity with Christ and unity with ourselves. Notice in verse 9, it says, for in Christ. And in verse 10, it also says, in Christ. Do you see them? Right? In Christ, all the, there are two kinds of in Christ. They don't mean the same thing, but they're, inter, they're, they're interrelated. So the first in Christ shows us the unity of God and humanity. In Christ, the fullness of the deity um, um, uh, dwells in bodily form. But then he then says, for, uh, that is connected to, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I hope you see the play of words. Fullness of the deity, but you have now been brought to fullness. What it's saying, the gospel can be expressed in this way. God in Christ unites with us in our humanity so that we may unite with him for our salvation. God in Christ unites with us in our humanity so that we may unite with him for our salvation. That is what it is. So it teaches us this whole doctrine, a very important doctrine for what we call for the gospel. It is that we are united with Christ by faith. That's why a Christian can say something like this. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. How? How are you seated in heavenly places? You are seated in heavenly places how? With Christ. With Christ. What happened to us? He took the consequences for our sins. He united with us. But then we unite with him in his righteousness. So what happened to Christ happens to me. And this is what baptism signifies. Look at verse 12 again. And we buried with him, buried with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him. If the gospel is Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ was risen, 1 Corinthians 5, 3 to 4, then baptism shows us, in fact, Romans 6, it even does it even better. In Romans 6, it says, Don't you know that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore we, we were therefore buried with him. And then here in Romans 12, uh, Colossians 2, it then says, we're also raised with him. So this is why you see the symbol of baptism. You go into the water, you are dying, and you are being buried. And you come out anew. And we can do that because we are united with Christ. Amen. And one of the benefits of that is that he converts us. This is what the circumcision that he's talking about is doing there. And for those of us who don't believe in Trinity, please let me, this is a little bit of an aside. Circumcision was given as a right for the Old uh, Testament people of God or the people under the Old Covenant, right, for the males. They took off their foreskin to indicate as a mark on their body that they belong to Israel's God. But it was also really pointing to something deeper. The circumcision of the flesh was pointing to something deeper that God was looking for, that I want to have a people 
who are fully circumcised in their heart. So Moses says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, that the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. The Lord your word, God. So God will circumcise our hearts. That is, in other words, it will be a circumcision without human hands. Amen? God is going to do it. But Paul, listen to what he says in Romans chapter 2 about that circumcision. He says, a person is not a Jew who is only one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Who did the circumcision? Here. Huh? No, who did the circumcision? Just one I read. By the spirit. He said it's the spirit. In Deuteronomy 30, he says it's God. Here he's saying it's the spirit. And in Colossians 2, what does he say? Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by who? By Christ. In other words, if it's not done by human hands, it's done by God. But God is this Trinitarian God. The blessing of being in Christ, part of the blessing of being in Christ, having been converted in Christ, is that he gives us a new life and he gives us a new way of living. And this is what baptism is signifying. It's saying that, look, this thing, this gospel that Christ, um, that we preach, that Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was resurrected. If you are in Christ, the one who circumcises your heart, if you are in Christ, we see that symbolized in this thing of baptism. If Christ died, we died. If Christ was buried, we were buried. If Christ was raised up, we were raised up. Amen. But secondly, it also says that it shows us our unity with one another. What do I mean by that? You know, there's nothing that unites us more like than shared experience. Shared experiences. I'll try what I did. I, it didn't work out in the last one very well, in the first service. But I, I have faith in this, in this space. So if I say something like, greatest acokite. <laughs> see. Let's put it this way. I, I, have, I, have, I have big dreams for this church. But my faith is not in the members of this church. It's in the God that does it. Because, so those are the few Akokites that are here. Just few. Like that. How are we going to be great? <laughs> eh? Greatest if... No, little if Little if Now, why are people responding? If you say great, 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 people say great. If you say great, great, if fair, people will say great. What is happening? The response of great uh, is proof that we have had a shared experience, the shared experience of going through the same university. It's what happens when you see five people on a Saturday wearing a Manchester United um, uh, shirt. One of them may be a banker. The other one may be an artist. The other one may be um, a pastor, but united in this shared experience of what? Of supporting Manchester United. In other words, shared experiences bring about unity or community. And sometimes it's not only in the good things or the joyous things. Sometimes it is in the very difficult things. Right? Sometimes I've, I've had, um, you know, you, you counsel people who are going through difficult things, like if I was counseling somebody that's walking through a divorce. I will provide pastoral theological counsel. I'll pray for them. But after I do that, you know what I often would do? 
I was trying to go and meet that um, lady, that other lady. She's also, she was divorced three years ago. And that lady would say a lot of things to that, to the person currently going through that, that will connect with her more deeply. Why? Because they are united in a shared experience. So Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. Maybe they were having some issues around unity. And Paul was saying, you guys endeavor to keep the, the, uh, the spirit of peace, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He's saying unity can't just come. You have to fight for it. However, fight for it because you already have a sense of unity. You are already one. I'm like, what do you mean by already one? Well, he gives them six reasons why they are one. They shared in, in a particular, in certain experiences. There is one God. There is one Lord. There is one Spirit. Like, oh, that's all God. Yes. You worship that one God. You should be united. Hey, but all that is in heaven. I can't see God. Okay. There is one body. There is one faith. There is one uh, 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 there's one body, there's one faith, and there's one hope. Like, ah, that's true. One faith. We all share the same teaching. That's true. I, me and I believe the same thing. So we should be united. Ah, we're looking forward to one hope. That's true. And we're one global body. That's true. It's not real to me at this point. That is too abstract. I can't feel it. This body you are saying, I don't know. Some of those people that are Christians are voting for a crazy president there. Am I united with them? You see, this one faith, sometimes it doesn't feel like one faith. I think we believe different things. And this hope, who even knows what's going to happen? Can you describe? I don't feel it now, and I can't see that God. I need something I can feel before you can say, let's be united. And Paul says there is one baptism. You can feel that. You share one baptism. Therefore, when you are thinking about that pesky sister, you are thinking about that irritating brother, he's saying before you say something that will drive you guys further apart, remember this. It is felt on your body. It is felt on her body. It is felt on his body. You are united in one baptism. So endeavor to keep that spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Tefemi, I know why you say that. You're a pastor of a church, you want the church to be united. It has some benefit communally. But how about my personal life? I'm going through certain difficulties, and many times, honestly, this whole in Christ thing, I'm not sure like God is there for me. There was a guy um, who was a Roman Catholic monk in the 16th century. Um, he struggled with sin. He always knew he was sinning. And he was trying to not just stop sinning in actions, but in his mind. So he'll go, he'll confess all the sins that he has. Sometimes he'll take hours with the priest. They were getting tired of him. On his way back home, he'll remember some of the sins that he's committed. He'll go back. Like this guy, the, the priest was like, it's fine. Just do this number of memories and go. He'll go back home. He'll be thinking about it. You'll find out that his repentance was not, there was some sin in his repentance. The thing was eating him up. He would do the penance, he would do all the Hail Marys. He said, look, what must one do to really have assurance of salvation? I'm doing all of these things. And one day he was reading the Bible and he had an epiphany moment. So that salvation did not come 
through what people just did. It came through what faith, uh, through putting our faith in Christ alone. His name is Martin Luther. And that belief on the authority of it is a scripture alone that we get our guidance caused one of the most important splits in human history, the Protestant Reformation. This guy was willing to sacrifice his life because no one was going to tell him that you should add anything to faith for him to be saved. And here's what this Martin Luther said also. Here's a quote. He said, There is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. Did he forget everything he just read? Is he adding baptism to faith? No. You see, Martin Luther understood that baptism was part of that whole initiation packet that he could look back to. It wasn't being disconnected from Christ. He was saying, here is a physical representation or a physical manifestation of God's ownership upon me. My faith is expressed through my baptism. So many times when Martin Luther was going through a lot of affliction and anxiety, he was known to yell these famous words, I am baptized, I am baptized. Anytime he felt the devil was tempting him and he couldn't connect to other things, you know what he would say? I am baptized, I am baptized. Because you see, Martin Luther also read Romans chapter 6. And that Romans chapter 6 when he says that he says, in the beginning, he says, just because of faith, he says, shall we continue in sin that faith may abound? And Paul says, absolutely not. And that is when he now starts talking about baptism in Romans 6 verse 3. That is when he then says, oh, don't you know? Because he says, how do we stop sinning? Don't you know? that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Okay, we understand the baptism. And then he finishes with this. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is saying this. When you want to think about this new life, where you are not required to sin, go to your baptism. And that's exactly what Martin Luther was saying. When faced with all of these things, I am baptized and baptized. So I'm saying to you, when those times of trials and temptations that we're going to face individually and, co and communally come to us, what should you say? I am baptized, I am baptized. When your humility, generosity, kindness, patience and love are being tested, what should you say? I am baptized, I am baptized. When you think that God is not there for you, when you think he has abandoned you because you are going through a physical illness, because you are going through heartbreak, financial difficulty, what should you say? I am baptized. I am baptized. When your forgiveness and reconciliation are being prevented because of bitterness, rage, and suspicion, and you cannot think of God, you cannot see him, Remember, I am baptized. I am baptized. See, it's an assured statement reminding the devil that you do not belong to him. You belong to God. 
It's an assured declaration to yourself that you do not own yourself. You belong to God. And that is the greatest comfort we can ever receive because of baptism. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.